Good evening, everyone. Uh, I hope because you picked this talk that all of you know what UEFI stands for. Just in case, uh, it stands for Unified Extensible Firmware Interface. And roughly speaking, it's a replacement for or the successor for the legacy BIOS. Just more features, more secure, hopefully. Uh, the objective of our research was uh, get access to this tiny chip that's normally stored, uh, soldered to your motherboard, and it's named SPI flash chip, and it holds the contents of the UEFI firmware. So it holds the code of UEFI. Uh, the rules of the play is, uh, with physical access, it's straightforward, right? All you need is to connect proper gear, the flash programmer, to this chip, and then uh, you can play with it at will. So we consider only software attacks uh, during this talk, particularly the ones that can be conducted remotely, right? which is much more scary. Uh, why bother? Well, BIOS or UEFI is quite special piece of code because that's the code that gets executed first by the CPU after the machine is powered up. So it means if you have control at this very early state of execution, you control what's executed here, you also control what's executed later. You can trojan it at your will, if you say. So you can trojan the kernel that's loaded later on, or the applications. And this method of trojaning uh, has a nice advantage that it can survive OS reinstallation, right? Because the code for the trojan does not reside on the hard drive along with your operating system, but in, in the BIOS body on the SPI flash. So that's quite pretty unique. Also, if you're not that sophisticated, you can do much more simpler trick, just override the BIOS area with garbage. And then what happens is, is that machine will not boot, right, because BIOS will not start. And uh, the only way to revive this machine is just, again, connect uh, the flash programmer. There is no other way. So that's a pretty nasty attack. If you consider what happened to Saudi Aramco a couple of years ago, that kind of attack would be much more nasty. So all these uh, three, there are three reasons why, why it is interesting to get access to the uh, flash chip. It's, again, ideal place for rootkit. Uh, you probably don't hear a lot about these rootkits being deployed in the wild because it's a little bit advanced, but they do happen. And if you Google for uh, the project Deity Bounce by NSA, you can see that really that kind of rootkits happen in the wild. Yeah, so uh, regarding all this issue, how security is implemented? Well, first of all, the chipset itself provides the means, the features, to actually program the flash device. It's necessary if you want to support, for instance, BIOS updates. But it also, uh, it's possible to configure the chipset in a way that prevents write access to the chip. And then it's up to the firmware, BIOS, UEFI, whatever, uh, to utilize the feature properly so that, for instance, before an update to the BIOS is applied, UEFI must have a chance to, for instance, check the signature to verify that it's a legitimate update. And of course, any random attempts to write uh, the SPI flash should be denied. Well, are these methods of protection solid? Uh, there were vulnerabilities in the past that allowed us to get past this write protection. So probably the first one was in 2009, so a long time ago by Alex Tereshkin and me from ITL. Uh, and this gentleman, much more recently, uh, presented at least two different ways of getting right access uh, to the SPI flash. But in fact, these attacks were a bit theoretical, certainly suboptimal from an exploitation point of view. The reason was these attacks were based on complex memory corruption vulnerabilities. And even developing exploits for them is very tedious because it's very difficult to debug the early BIOS code. So in, in reality, to have reasonable chances to develop such an exploit, you need equipment like JTAG-based debugger, flash programmer, and it gets complicated. Also, the exploits uh, were quite unstable. So they were dependent on particular version of, of the chipset, etc., etc., and porting them to a different platform was non-trivial. So for that reasons, although definitely real and possible to exploit, these vulnerabilities 
are not expected to be really uh, exploited in the wild. But today, we'll present something better. Namely, we'll present two vulnerabilities which are prevalent among UEFI and legacy biosystem. Essentially, all five or six systems that we tested from different OMEs were vulnerable. So it means your laptop is vulnerable too. Uh, the consequences are, again, ability to get right access to the SPI flash, and also, as a nice bonus, ability to get into SMM. SMM being system management mode, it's a very powerful mode of execution of CPU uh, that's, again, usually insulated from the rest of the operating system. And finally, they are quite straightforward, uh, reliable, simple, you should be able to reproduce it at home. Okay, over to Tony. Okay, uh, before I begin, let me make sure my demo is still up and ready to go. Okay. So, as Rafal was saying, the, uh, the con protecting the contents of the BIOS, the, the spy flash, is of paramount importance um, for all those properties he was listing. And due to this um, security critical nature of the BIOS, there's a number of protections that surround um, making arbitrary programs or any programs to the spy flash. So it, it's not sufficient to just break down one of these. You have to really have to break through many layers if you actually want to like insert an implant onto the BIOS. And the, the general flow of the presentation um, from here will just be to describe each of these layers of security, uh, describe the attack surface against them, and then break through them and hopefully show some live demonstrations of us uh, doing it on these systems up here, but we'll see if the demo gods are nice to us today. So layer number one, as you can see on this one, is the, uh, the BIOS control register. And this is a, uh, a memory mapped register that you can access in memory mapped I.O. or the port I.O. And um, it takes the form of many of these security critical registers on the x86 architecture where you have some bits that control features. And then you have maybe one locking bit so that uh, once it's set, um, the, the feature bits can't be maliciously modified by a compromised operating system or um, a compromised driver or something like that. So in this case, uh, this is responsible for, or at least one, something that's partly responsible for protecting the BIOS. And you can see bit number zero is the BIOS write enable bit, and this is quite simple. When this is one, you can make writes to the BIOS. When it's not, you can't. Simple. Um, bit number one is a bit more interesting. So as I was saying, normally with these locking bits, you have it where you set it to a one, and then you can't change the feature bits anymore until the platform resets. They're just locked. But uh, this one is different. If you read the fine print text, it says, um, okay, if BIOS lock enable is set to one, enable setting the BIOS write enable bit to cause SMIs. Once set, this bit can only be cleared by platform reset. Uh, so kind of interesting. Um, it's not saying that it just straight up blocks access to the BIOS, BIOS write enable bit. It just enables essentially SMM to act as an arbitrator and decide whether or not BIOS write enable should be set to a one or to a zero. And so this puts system management mode in a position to decide who gets access to the flash chip. So that was a bit abstract. It probably helps to clarify with um, some diagrams. So if a, let's say this is a malicious kernel driver, wants to it put an implant onto the flash chip. The first thing it has to do is write enable the BIOS, because it has to be one to make programming operations. But in this case, the BIOS lock enable bit is also set, so the BIOS is being protected. So because BIOS lock enable is set, um, an SMI, system management interrupt, is immediately generated, SMM kicks in, and SMM in this case is going to determine that, hey, this is an illegitimate attempt to write enable the BIOS, so we need to come in here and set BIOS write enable back to zero. And then eventually the system the SMM handler will eventually uh, return context back to the original kernel driver that started this whole attempt to reprogram the flash chip. And at the end of the day, the um, attempt to flash write the BIOS fails because this kernel driver, this thread, is never, never able to actually execute instructions in the context of the chipset when BIOS write enable is set equal to one. So, what we have here is the description of the BIOS control register from the old days and from the new days. So th the process of looking at this was kind of like uh, bin diffing for vulnerabilities, but in this case, we're diffing the documentation. And you'll see some uh, interesting changes happen. So back in the old days, the x86 architecture, you had the north bridge, south bridge style, the memory controller hub and the IO controller hub, and then the CPU. 
So this is what's up top, the old ICH, what I'm calling ICH-style architecture. But on newer systems, most of them, uh, they've gravitated away from this Northbridge, Southbridge-style architecture. Now there's a lot of that Northbridge functionality has been migrated into the CPU, and um, other functionality has been pushed to the platform controller hub, which has kind of um, assumed the role of many of the Northbridge and Southbridge bridge functions. So now you just have CPU, platform controller hub. And um, I think this happened around 2010 or so, but I can't say for sure. But on the old one, you see that bits 7 through 5 are just reserved. They don't provide any additional features. But on the new platform controller hub um, chipsets, bit number 5 is for the SMM BIOS write protect bit, which has some pretty interesting language. In particular, it says that um, when it's set, BIOS region SMM protection is enabled. The BIOS region is not writable unless all processors are in SMM. So when we looked at that, it kind of gave pause to what does that actually mean? All processors have to be in SMM for uh, writes to occur. Well, it turns out that Intel was patching a latent race condition in the, uh, the spy flash protections provided by BIOS control. And um, actually the way this cooperation between Rafal and I came about is I sent Rafal a paper of mine's uh, describing some attacks against legacy BIOS, and it described this BIOS control functionality, and Rafal said, mm, that seems a bit racy, we should try to look, uh, look at that closer. And some of my colleagues also suggested that this might be a problem, but as it turns out that this BIOS lock enable mechanism is uh, subject to a race condition on multi-core systems. So the way this generally works, um, it's very, really simple to, to exploit. You just need two threads, so two, two cores, um, so essentially two kernel drivers, and one will be attempting to write-enable the BIOS in a tight loop, and then the other core, uh, what, what I'm representing here is thread number two, is just going to be attempting flash programming operations in a tight loop. So this, uh, when we succeed in the race condition, BIOS write-enable, okay, we're doing this a million times, an SMI occurs, and the SMM handler is going to come in and try to save the day and set BIOS write-enable equal to zero, but it doesn't happen in time uh, because... Thread two here just keeps on keeps on trying, and eventually they're able to make that flash programming operation happen. And this works pretty easily because there's no penalty for failure. You can just attempt this flash programming operation in a tight loop millions and millions of times, and if it fails because BIOS try to enable a zero, then it just basically silently fails. Nothing catastrophic happens, like hanging the system or whatever. So you can really be take quite a brute force approach, and it will work uh, just fine. And then, yeah, eventually SMM will come in and set BIOS right enable to zero, but too late, the, uh, the implant's already been installed and the game is already lost. So we're about to attempt live demo number one, so I'm going to try to show you this race condition just to make it more real what's going on. Uh, so let's give that a try, everyone. So what I have here is I'm currently RDP'd into one of these systems, and um, we're just going to use this race condition to corrupt the firmware on this HP Elite book and just render it non-bootable. That's the goal anyway. But before we begin, I want to show you, uh, just to make it even more clear, what's going on at this BIOS write enable bit. So this right here on the LPC device is, you can see right here at offset DC. This is the BIOS control register. Right now, only bit one is set, which is the BIOS lock enable bit. And you can try all you want to set this thing to one and yeah, it appears maybe to stick for a second. You see a three there, but that only appears two because um, the, the refresh rate of this is like one time a second. So we, can't, we can attempt to set BIOS write enable, but it's not working because SMM is coming in and setting BIOS write enable equal to zero. But what happens if we just try this millions and millions of times simultaneously? Uh, eventually we'll succeed, hopefully. Okay, before I begin, I just want to show you the, uh, the region of the, of the flash chip that we're going to uh, change. If I can remember. Yeah, okay. So in here, it's just essentially unused space, so it's, uh, you know, just make a change here because it'll be obvious. And uh, what we have to do when doing these flash programming operations is actually clobber a whole four, um, 4K block, and doing so will corrupt the firmware to the point where it's um, not going to boot anymore. So this is what we'll be changing. This is our target. Okay, 
So what I've already done previously is I've installed two kernel drivers into this Win08 systems, and kernel driver number one is going to do BIOS write enable in a tight loop when it receives an IO control code, and kernel driver number two is going to attempt a flash programming operation in a tight loop upon receiving an IO control code. So then all I have to do is use these two user land agents to start sending the IO control codes to try to win this race condition. Okay, so this one on the right, uh, set BIOS write enable agent, and that's gonna be the one that invokes the BIOS write enable tight loop code, and this one will do the flash programming. Now with uh, flash programming, it's a, it's a bit odd, or I guess not odd, but you have to do an erase operation before you do a programming operation, so I'm actually going to have to win this race uh, two separate times to actually accomplish this attack. So let's see if I can be quick about this. Oops, I didn't install the drivers. There we go. Okay, so right now I'm racing. Both those threads are occurring. It's happening millions of times. Uh, that was attempting the, f the flash erase operation. And now I'm going to attempt the, um, the programming operation. So let's just try that one more time. Let it go for a little bit. Okay, that should have been sufficient, but we can actually check. So what I have right now is a kernel driver, which is just dumping the contents of the spy flash, so I can just verify that I've actually won the race and been able to make these changes. Yeah, and you can see here, these were originally Fs, and I just wrote some junk here. And as I was mentioning, uh, it, programming only happens 64 bytes at a time, so I've only changed 64 bytes here. I could just continue this and write even more. But the erase happens um, in a whole 4K block, so I actually annihilated a whole lot of, a lot of other stuff, including important UEFI data structures, which is basically on a brickless system when I tried to uh, reboot it. So let's see what happens when I try to do that. So I'm just going to reboot, and the real race will be, can I unbrick this system with the flash program I brought with me before Fall finishes his portion, and we can continue. Okay, so I just uh, rebooted that system. Probably it will do something horrible. Yeah, so right now it's just stuck in this diagnostic boot loop. It'll never boot again. The, the firmware has been completely like uh, hosed because I've overridden critical parts of it. And um, you're basically dead in the water. You can't attempt to reinstall the operating system. That's not going to fix it because the firmware is just completely blasted at this point. It'll, it'll never turn on. Um, so if this kind of attack was to happen, you know, your IT department would be pretty ill-prepared to recover from this. Um, luckily... So luckily, I've had the foresight to make a backup of the firmware with my Flash programmer that I brought here so I can try to recover the contents of this uh, while our fall is continuing, which I'll do after I finish up here. Okay, so one sort of important question is who is affected? Now, as I mentioned, uh, ICH and earlier systems didn't even have this SMM BIOS write protect. Newer platform controller hub-based systems, um, so it's like doing this CPU loop of doom right now, so I should probably turn that off. Um, if newer platform controller hardware-based systems, if they set SMM BIOS write protect, race condition defeated, doesn't happen, good to go. Older systems, they can possibly protect themselves with this other layer of protection called protected range registers, but even if they use them, um, we'll talk more about how these work, but it might not be sufficient, and we'll talk about why later. Um, so if you don't set SMM BIOS right protect, you're probably vulnerable is the, is the moral of the story. And the bad news is most systems that I've looked at, even systems that support SMM BIOS right protect, don't set it. So uh, I did a, another paper um, with some colleagues earlier this year that I talked about at Hack in the Box Amsterdam, and we surveyed about 8,000 systems. And granted, the systems were probably about two years old on average, I would say, but uh, less than 10% were actually making use of SMM BIOS right protect. So... Uh, there's this fix available for a lot of systems, but for whatever reason, OEMs don't seem to be using it. Like this Elite Book supports it, but doesn't set it, and many of the systems looked at just, just don't bother to use it for whatever reason. And yeah, just to reiterate, very easy to exploit, nothing magical going on. Uh, just need one thread setting BIOS to enable a bunch, another thread attempting the flash programming, and then wait a second, and then you've probably won. 
No penalty for brute force, just keep on trying. Okay, so that's the uh, sort of the outermost layer of the BIOS flash protections, but how can we proceed inward to get to the promised land of the, of the flash chip, of the, the UEFI firmware? So, next up is, if the OEM, if the BIOS makes use of SMM BIOS Write Protect, we are essentially forced to break into system management mode to continue our assault on the firmware. And Rafal is going to talk about how we can um, attack SMM on most UEFI systems um, with his portion up next. <clears throat> okay, so attacking SMM BIOS Write Protect. Uh, so, have you ever heard the story of Darth Plagueis the Wise? No, I thought so. That's not the story that the Jedi would tell you. So, uh, so for our purposes, uh, the important thing is that Darth Plagueis kept Darth Venami's Kamatos for many years. In fact, he killed him and revived a couple of times. The reasoning behind it was research. He just wanted to figure out how midi-chlorians work and how they're connected to life and death. So how is it relevant for our business? Uh, the relevant part is that you have already seen. Namely, the chipset registers are lockable and some of the lock bits are cleared only during uh, the host reset. So the idea is to force this reset, so the death of the platform, and then still gain control over it while it's being resurrected. And that, that idea means that we still have control while the registers are not locked. And some of you might already have guessed that we will use ACP as free sleep, because it involves both death, so sleep, and then resurrection, so resume. So we'll see that S3 sleep equals dark Jedi coma. So what's the difference between normal boot and resume from S3 sleep uh, in context of UEFI? So UEFI execution is divided into a couple of phases. You have SEC phase, PI phase, DXE, then boot device selection and operating system load. And the interesting part happens in the DXE phase. So at this point, uh, most of the registers are actually locked. Interestingly, each time uh, the platform is being configured by the means of PCI, config space write, memory write, IO write, uh, the information about uh, uh, the information about what's being uh, configured is recorded in the data structure named boot script. And boot script is just again data structure stored in normal RAM usually. Typically, it is in ECPNVS, so uh, area of RAM reserved for uh, the purposes of UEFI. And why it is so? It will be useful on S3 Resume. So as S3 Resume, we start in a very similar way. So CPU is powered up, jumps to the reset vector. Then the SEC phase executes, uh, PEI phase executes. But then something else happens, namely, instead of just loading all the EDXE drivers from the flash and just running all, the, all of them, we just replay uh, the configuration actions from the boot script. So, so that's, that's the difference. So at this point, it's not the contents of the flash that dictates what's being executed. In fact, it's just the contents of this memory of the boot script that shows what configuration actions will be applied. And then afterwards, as usual, uh, the operating system is woken up and given control. So again, the important part is that at the moment when the boot script is interpreted, uh, most of the platform registers are not locked yet. Okay, so obvious thing, uh, ACPNVS memory is just normal RAM. It's not protected against the operating system in, in any way. So it means that uh, attacker with at least ability to access all physical memory, can mess with the contents of the boot script. And that's what we're going to do. Yeah, one, one more thing, this whole boot script concept is quite a core uh, feature of UEFI. So all the UEFI implementations uh, use it. Yeah, so how a boot script look like? 
So again, maybe just for completeness, I will quote some documentation. The chipset configuration can be viewed as a series of memory, I.O. and PCI configuration operations, which the XC drive is recorded in the framework boot script. During S3Resume, the boot script engine executes the boot script to restore the chipset settings. So the boot script consists of a series of opcodes like I.O. write, memory write, PCI config write, and parameters to them. There is a very interesting uh, opcode for our purposes. It's named dispatch. And the semantics of it is essentially execute arbitrary code, right? It's very useful, as you can see in, in the specification. Uh, well, the consequences are obvious. So if we can achieve any of the following, either alter the contents of the boot script, so insert a malicious dispatch opcode into it, or alter the target of any existing AEFI boot script dispatch opcode. So that's different. We do not mess with the boot script itself, but we hook or override the code that's legally co called from it, right? And finally, we can uh, alter the data structure used by the firmware to locate where the boot script is. If we can achieve any of the following, then we can force S3 suspend resume cycle and run arbitrary code in the context of the boot script interpreter. So how exploitation would look like? That's the normal uh, layout of data, relevant data structure on most of the machines that uh, we have a look at. So at the top of it, uh, there is UEFI environment var variable named ACPI global variable, and it stores a value that's interpreted as a pointer. This pointer points into RAM, into ACPI NVS, and there is a data structure named also ACPI global variable, uh, at certain offset in it, there's a pointer to the boot script, right? So that's how it legally look, looks like. So the most straightforward way that works most of the time is, uh, first we will prepare our evil boot script. We copy the original boot script here, we prepend evil dispatch opcode that just calls our shell code, and then uh, we change this pointer to point to our new uh, shiny Boot script. The reason why we copied the original boot script is obvious, right? We want to maintain the stability of the system during resume. And that's pretty much it. Uh, so the question is, can it be done in the right way? So is it possible to implement the boot script concept in a secure way? And the answer is yes. And actually, EFI development kit uh, introduces the concept of the lockbox. So the method to store certain crucial data structures in a secure way. And the way how it's achieved is that uh, these data structure must be stored in SMM memory. Not in normal unprotected RAM, but in the region of memory assigned for system management mode that's uh, protected against our operating system. And then this attack shown above will not work. But it's possible to screw things in a number of ways. So we had seen only a single system that actually used SMM logbox to uh, store the boot script and relevant data structure. And it was actually a UEFI development motherboard. The problem is that uh, the implementation contained a legal opcode, dispatch opcode, with the arguments being, again, in unprotected memory. So this time, instead of messing with the boot script or the pointer to the boot script, we can just overwrite or hook the code that's normally called during S3Resume. Again, the effect would be quite the same. <clears throat> so why, again, why, why are we all we, we're doing that? Platform is largely unlocked at this point, particularly on all the systems that we have seen from various OEMs, uh, BIOS CNTL is unlocked. So it means even if BIOS, if CNTL BIOS write protect, that bit that we talked previously, even if it is set, it can be freely unset. Nothing prevents that. <clears throat> and at this point, uh, BIOS CNTL does not prevent write access to the chip. It means that uh, we don't even necessarily have to actually get code execution in the SMM context, right? Because we simply can unset uh, BIOS write protect bit. But getting control over SMM is quite nice because, again, of all the power that this mode of execution has. So how it looks. So generally, SMM memory is protected by two sets of registers. First of all, you have to protect against access from the CPU. 
So for that purpose, modern CPUs have uh, dedicated uh, MSR registers named SMM range registers. And essentially, these registers define a region of memory that cannot be accessed by the CPU unless it is in system management mode. Interestingly, uh, these, at least again on the platform that we have seen, these MSRs are already configured prior to execution of boot script. So this time, no luck, at least no free lunch. Even in the context of boot script interpreter, we cannot access SMM from the CPU. But there is another way how memory can be accessed, namely via DMA, direct memory access triggered by PCI devices, right? All PCI devices that are master bus capable can uh, trigger access to the memory. And there is a separate register named TSEG. This time it's a chipset register that again defines a region of memory that cannot be accessed by DMA. Interestingly, TSEG is configured before uh, the boot script is in interpreted, but it's not locked, interestingly, which is good news for us. What we can do is uh, change the value of the TSEG register to something totally bogus value, and then uh, any PCI device can execute DMA cycles and get read and write access to the SMM. The only trouble with this approach is that uh, actually configuring PCI device to do arbitrary DMA to arbitrary address is tricky because essentially you must know full semantics of the device, right? And uh, just implementing it in, in the shellcode itself would be quite non-trivial. So we can do something better. So in the shellcode itself, we just move TSEG out of the way, and essentially also lock it. And then after the operating system is woken up, uh, it's much easier to do arbitrary DMA, because at that time you can use all the drivers that uh, have been loaded by the operating system. Particularly, the most straightforward way is to use the hard disk driver. Yeah. Okay, so that's, again, consequences, really ability to, to get access to SMM memory. So this vulnerability has been reported to CERT and has been assigned this tracking number. Again, all of the UEFI systems that we surveyed were vulnerable, one way or another. It allows a kernel-level attacker uh, right, essentially to bypass restriction employed by BIOS CNTL and also escalate to SMM in runtime, which is also interesting. And finally, it is more or less easy to exploit. The only potential difficulty is that the boot script format varies from vendor to vendor, slightly but significantly. So if you want to inject your uh, custom dispatch opcode, you need to know the format. So some reverse engineering might be required if you mean to port it to another system. Another interesting bit, this very same vulnerability was discovered totally independently and mostly at the same time by guys from Intel Advanced Threat Research Team. So congratulations to them. It happens rarely, but it does happen. Okay, so now let's try to do some demonstration. Uh, I have set up a Linux system, it's here, so you should see uh, the white rectangle, right? So the machine is powered up. So assume you have some access to this machine. Machine Doesn't need to be SSH, you could just exploit a browser and then get connect back shell. And all these attacks again require administrator uh, privileges. So, luckily there are a couple of ways to do that. <laughs> it's irrelevant. And now we can uh, essentially get busy. Uh, so first of all, let's see uh, what's the location of the TSEC. So TSEC is uh, registered in the host bridge interface. Uh, at offset BA, B8, yeah. So normally it's at CC and zeros. So now let's, this demo is mostly about getting access to SMN. So now how we can try, what, what happens when we do DMA to this address? To do that, we need to ins mode uh, this helper, helper module, and then uh, run the tool. We will read to the file named tseg, 
at this address. Uh, this address and read one page. So if you do it, uh, what do you get? Just try to figure out when I type the commands. Nothing is kind of expected. And if you look at the kernel logs, well, something horrible has happened, right? Essentially, the kernel had to totally reset the SATA link because it complained, the hardware complained that the DMA transaction has failed, right? You can see that right SPDMA failed. Again, it means how the protection offered by the TSEG works. So now we'll uh, run the exploit. Again, it's just a matter of running another tool. So what it does, it writes shellcode to some default location, determines what's the ACP variable holds, and then switches the location of the actual uh, boot script. Uh, what it does, it again loads shellcode, and actually this shellcode is just an ELF binary. And once it is run, it will log uh, some information to its body. So if we dump the contents of uh, the memory at this location uh, to some log file, offset length, and you do strings log file, Okay, this is just, just the contents of the shellcode, so nothing has been logged yet, right? So what remains? We can now use the normal uh, utility bundled with Linux that will arm real-time clock and uh, wake the platform. We'll suspend it to memory and we'll tell it to wake uh, after 20 seconds. Again, it's utility that's uh, bundled with uh, most distributions. Okay, so now you can have a look at, at, this, at this machine. Now it's running. If I run this command, you see, you should see it, it went blank, so it's suspended now, and you can see that uh, the shell is hung. I cannot, of course, interact with it because the machine is ACPS S3Sleep. So now we can either wait for it to reboot or use the force, like, Venamis, I command you, rise. And let's see, let's see, let's see, yeah, it's complied, yeah. And now uh, let's redo all the things that we have done previously. Uh, so now what's, what's the value of TSEG? It's some FF, it won't help, help much. Uh, let's read, uh, no. Uh, yeah, let's read the log of the of the shell code and and things. Now you see something more is, is log. So the shell code says that the initial value of TSEG was CC, not logged. It was possible to overwrite with, with FF. And most importantly, that value of BIOS CNTL was eight. So the bit number one is not set. So again, we have bypassed the protection offered by uh, BIOS CNTL. And finally, let's try to do DMA at this point. Okay, and now let's see if anything interesting is in there. Now it looks much better, not only zeros, right? So let's, let's try to disassemble. Does it look like, like 886 uh, code? Okay, we have a jump, jump 54, and then we have something very unusual. We have memory access with CS prefix. So the selector for the code is used as, as a prefix of memory access. And coupled with that weird prefix and the fact that you load global descriptor table, it tells you that it's really SMM. Some further proof can be found below. Unfortunately, if you disassemble further, you see bad instructions. The reason is that uh, 
SMM entry point enters long more quickly. So we need to disassemble in, in the long mode. Yeah. I always mix it. Yeah. And now no more bad instructions. And most interestingly, after a couple of them, ah, you see this. This is a smoking gun, right? Return from system management mode. This instruction can be possibly only used in a single place, in, in an SMM handler. So that really shows that we can get access to SMM by DMA after TSEC has been moved. Consequently, we can overwrite the body of SMM and get code execution in SMM context. Okay. So, we've broken past BIOS control, we've broken into system management mode on most of the systems that we've evaluated, but one last hurdle remains before we get to the sacred land, which is the flash, the protected range registers protecting the, the firmware. So, what, what are these guys? Well, it is possible to use protected range registers such that you mask off parts of the flash chip so it's not even writable, even to system management mode, this ultra-privileged uh, mode of execution. So, you can... You have several regions that you can declare, and uh, yeah, SMM can't even write to them because protected range mass, saving the day. Now, what's interesting about UEFI is that the protected range registers can't cover the entire spy flash chip because UEFI has these things called non-volatile variables, which are kind of like Linux, Unix environment variables, describing things like the boot order, platform language, et cetera, et cetera. And um, these have to be, these live on the flash chip, so coexist near the UEFI code and all that. But they have to be updatable by the runtime of the system, which essentially means the operating system. The US has to be able to communicate information to the firmware and change these variables or change the boot order, et cetera, et cetera. So these essentially cannot be masked by the protected range registers. If we can get into SMM, we can always clobber whatever is in this region. So the question we asked is, if we can clobber anything in here, can we find some trusted integer value and corrupt it and induce a buffer overflow or something like that? In general, can we find memory corruption vulnerabilities by uh, doing crazy things to this region of the flash ship that SMM has right access to? Well, obviously we're up here today. And uh, the UEFI code, a lot of it, there's a reference implementation that's open source. You can just go and SVN check out or whatever and go to work. You don't have to do any crazy reverse engineering. So Rafal and I went to work on auditing the UEFI code, and we found uh, many of these vulnerabilities that if you assume an SMM attacker can induce some type of memory corruption vulnerability to maybe do bad things like get past protected range registers. It all depends on how early we can induce these vulnerabilities in the boot up of the system. If we can make this vulnerable line of code run, in the platform boot up before the protected range registers are set and locked, then we can bypass them. So in this case, pretty simple buffer overflow. Data size is controlled by an SMM attacker because it comes to that variable region. And uh, that in public key stores a fixed size data area. We can clobber it and get control of the instruction pointer in the early boot environment. So blah, 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 not very exciting, but plus it's bypass protected range registers. And we found other instances of this, not very surprising. This data, a lot of times, is just in general treated as trusted. If it originates, if it originates from SMM, yeah, you don't have to validate it too much because SMM is like a privileged type of entity, which should have been instantiated by the BIOS anyway, right? So in this case, we can make next variable, next variable point somewhere crazy, which leads to a buffer overflow on the EFI copy mem. So another buffer overflow that we can possibly use to pivot past these protected range registers. But the point of this presentation is that we don't want to give you complex memory corruption vulnerabilities because they're hard to do it yourself, they're hard to reproduce, um, they're implementation dependent, et cetera, et cetera. They're just hard to deal with. So we want to give you some other ideas for how you can bypass these protected range registers without doing these complicated tricks. So what's interesting is I checked out the protected, uh, the UEFI reference code further, and it turned out that data that was within these uh, authenticated variables, these non-volatile variables that SMM can control, was used to authenticate uh, flash updates. So, you know, there is a mechanism for doing firmware, up firmware updates, updating your BIOS. And back in the old days of legacy BIOS, it was like the wild, wild west. HP would do something different, Dell would do something different. American megatrends would do something different, and everyone was just doing their own thing without how to update their BIOS. But the UEFI reference implementation code provides like a clear way called capsule update for this is how you should do firmware updates on your UEFI-based system. All the code is in there. And um, 
That code path, the UEFI capsule update, just straight up uses the SMM controlled data to authenticate whether or not these updates are valid. So an attacker can just use the legitimate BIOS update path and add their malicious rootkit update as a legitimate update by you know, manipulating this data, signing it, and then adding the key to that one of these authenticated variables, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, th this is what I thought when reading the UEFI code, and I was like, oh, this, this can't be right. Um, you know, th there's like a security barrier here that's just been completely demolished by this assumption. So what's the deal? So we talked to some UEFI, uh, a core UEFI developer, and he basically confirmed our suspicions that SMM is just in the trusted code base for UEFI. If you can break into SMM, then um, it's pretty much game over right now. Nothing is going to stop you. Now, UEFI is going to be, depending on a new hardware feature in the future called platform, platform firmware armoring technology or BIOSCAR, or I forget exactly what they're calling it these days, that I think uses the management engine in some clever way to protect the, uh, the firmware, even from an SMM present attacker. I'm not sure how much data about this is publicly available. I mostly just found marketing documents and patent filings when I was looking at it. So not really clear how it works, but definitely the point is, to protect UEFI from an SMM present attacker. And um, right now, older systems, you can get to SMM, the rest of the platform is probably gonna fall. So, the cake is a lie. There is no protected range registers on these UEFI-based systems. And it turns out that uh, you probably don't have to bypass them anyway because many systems, way more than 50%, I would say, don't even use protected range registers. Uh, Rafal's Dell right here doesn't use them. Um, I doubt this Lenovo does, most of Lenovo's I haven't. Some, a lot of the HPs I've seen do use the protected range registers, but even on the systems that do use them, uh, they often fail to cover all the important data. So for instance, the protected range registers should have in theory protected this HP Elite book, which I bricked with the race condition from becoming bricked, but uh, they didn't because they usually don't cover all the important data areas, even if they're used. Um, I've another survey paper we did that hack in the box Amsterdam one. I think the number we were looking at was only like 30% or something of systems using protected range registers out of a mix of like Lenovo, Dell, and HP. So they're not using a lot of systems, so you probably don't even have to worry about them. So point is, if you can get into SMM, firmware is going to be toast. So the summary is that. We wanted to talk about vulnerabilities that you could take and do it yourself. You could uh, recreate these and because um, you know, they are relatively easy to exploit and you can do cool things with them. The first one is the race condition in the BIOS control register. Very easy to exploit. All you need is two kernel drivers, one attempting to set BIOS right enable in a tight loop, one attempting to do flash programming in a tight loop, and then it'll probably win. And that affects a great number of systems because some systems don't even support the fix. And of the ones that do support the fix, Many of them don't bother to use it. Uh, the boot script vulnerability literally affected every UEFI system that we looked at, which granted was only like eight or nine systems, but it included systems from HP, Dell, Lenovo, you know, the big three. So we suspect that it affects pretty much all of the UEFI systems. Um, so your system, if it was bought within the last, I don't know, four or five years or whatever, probably is vulnerable to the UEFI boot script attack. And uh, pretty easy to exploit it. You just need physical memory access and you just need to do a tiny bit of reverse engineering to figure out what the boot script looked like exactly. So just to give you an idea, when Rafal and Alexander Tereshkin did the first um, BIOS memory corruption vulnerability when they were part of Invisible Things Labs, uh, they said it took them like a month to do the exploit and it probably only worked on one BIOS revision for one board, et cetera, et cetera. So not very portable. When I did the, um, the BIOS exploits recently, it took me about six weeks to do one and it only worked for one BIOS revision on one system, et cetera, et cetera. And it was very tedious to do. Uh, it took, exploiting these took our fall and I just a few days and we're able to exploit basically all the systems we had access to in a few days um, because they were simple to exploit. And so go and play with them, pretty easy to reproduce. And the last point is system management mode is just, you know, it's been a problem. Invisible Things Labs talked about this at length back in the day. Uh, SMM can do really bad things. It's kind of just uh, free to do whatever. And that's still the case in UEFI. If you can get to SMM, you can wreak havoc on the rest of the firmware. End of story. New hardware feature will address this in the future, but the future is not now. So now we are vulnerable. Now. Um, one thing I'd like to point out is that these UEFI and BIOS vulnerabilities in general are pretty complex to disclose because they affect a wide number of people. They affect HP, Dell, Lenovo, American Megatrends, Phoenix, et cetera, et cetera. There's a lot of affected parties and coordinating these vulnerabilities is a real pain. So big thanks to the guys at uh, Intel, PCERT, and the UEFI security response team and CERT for helping reach out all the affected parties and uh, help fix these issues. Now it says I have 10 minutes left, so I'm going to try one last demo for our viewer audience out there, because the point is, 
Rafal exploited his Dell laptop, which was running Linux with the boot script. But the point is, Rafal uses Linux, I use Windows. He uses AT&T style x86 syntax, I use Intel syntax. He uses VI, I use Emacs, but we can find a vulnerability that works for both of us. And that's exactly what we're gonna do. I'm just going to, yeah, yeah. Okay. So, the goal is to break into system management mode by altering the boot script. This right here is system management mode. Oh, you can't see it, it's all left because the memory controller hub is blocking access to it from the CPU. And we couldn't get into a DMA anyway because this right here is the TSEG at offset AC. It's set to 778, which basically means the SMM region is protected from DMA access. Try to access it, it's just gonna fail horribly. In fact, I can show you that. So I'm attempting a DMA uh, read on that region, and it's um, not gonna work. You get this real nasty, weird error. I'm not really sure what's going on, but essentially um, this, this DMA attempt is just failing, so whatever. But what we're gonna do now is alter the boot script to um, move TSEG, like we did on the Linux system, to FF000000, so that DMA protection basically won't exist anymore on the system. And we just have to go to sleep. Now, I didn't do some fancy re-wake up thing like Rafal did, because I don't have the same Dark Jedi powers, apparently. But you could easily do that by programming an event to just re-wake the system immediately using Windows, but I didn't do that. So I'm just going to press the power button again, basically, to make it come back to life. Yeah, 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 yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. So the system didn't die. That's good. All of our demos have worked. Yes. And you can see right here, TSEG is set to um, FF000000, and I'm about to be punished by the gods for saying that all of our demos worked because I haven't finished this one. So let's try the DMA again. Seemed to work. And yeah, here, so this is the SMI handler, which previously couldn't read. If you were to disassemble this, you would see all the same kind of stuff that you saw in our fall system. So at this point, we can use DMA to blow past the uh, system management protections and then get into SMM and then corrupt the firmware in here just on all this. So pretty much all your systems are vulnerable to this attack. Uh, sorry about that. I don't even think patches have been released yet. So, sorry. Um, so, okay, so I think um, references if you want to check some of those things. Any questions at this point? Please line up in front of a mic if you have a question. Mic one. And so, um, so I agree with that. Uh, I think, uh, and I stopped using it for a long time. I think I, I began reusing it. I think when when ne nothing changed. And, and in fact, I think I was one of those people that thought things would change under Obama and there would be some accountability. Like if you torture people, you're held accountable for torturing people. And then that didn't. So, um, so I, I, yeah, I agree. We need a new term for that. Too. <laughs> Not going to comment on that it. question. Yeah. <laughs> Wait for the next one. Next one, yeah. yeah. This is an fault, right? Does it work? Yeah. So, speaking of protection, obviously Intel TXT is supposed to theoretically protect against these because we don't want to put trust into um, BIOS, whatever. But of course, TXT is vulnerable to SMM attack. So. Because you mentioned you spoke to lots of, you speak to Intel and um, uh, BIOS developers and other folks. What's the state of the STM? Your guess is pretty much as good as mine. I've never seen one in the wild. In fact, I believe the specification is not even public yet, right? Can anyone confirm that? But I have heard that it's like been at version 0.99, like, and they keep, you know, it can't go further, so it's just like a revision B, C, D, and E and further. So I don't really know. Um, What's up with the STM? Yeah, vaporware right now. I, I, my understanding. Can you put mic two back on? Two? Yeah. So we ruled out we rule out uh, TXT. Any other alternative protection you suggest? What do you use for your laptops? Faith in God. 
cubes. <laughs> Mike one. Hi. Uh, does this attack work regardless if you're using a modern system in legacy mode or UFI mode? I mean. So the race condition works no matter legacy or um, UEFI because it's, uh, it's a problem with the hard underlying hardware itself. But the boot script, I'm pretty sure it didn't exist um, in legacy BIOS days. There might have been something like that, but I, I can't speak to that. Mike, four. Hey, um, so the attacks that you demonstrated were using, uh, you needed to be able to either execute arbitrary code in kernel context, or you needed raw access to memory. So in a situation where you have either a, signed, a requirement for signed kernel drivers or no ability to perform arbitrary DMA from user space, do you have an attack that would still work in that situation? I noticed that on one of the slides you mentioned get firmware variable. Is there any way to manipulate data via the EFI set variable interface that can still trigger these issues? So, so uh, I'll answer that two ways. One is that I did give a presentation at Black Hat that was only using the set variable API to get access to the firmware, but it was doing a very complicated memory corruption vulnerability that honestly would be very hard to do in practice in the wild. Um, second answer to your question is, you say that it's a requirement to have a release side driver for, like, for Windows 8, for instance, and that's true, but uh, as Joanna Rutkowska pointed out like back in 2007, um, if you're administrator on a Windows system, there really is no barrier to getting into the kernel. You just have to load a, a signed but vulnerable driver and then exploit it. Or you were seeing I was using read-write-everything on this system. That's a signed utility that reads and writes everything. So, I mean, it, once you have administrator access on a Windows system, getting in physical memory access I don't think is really a barrier. Do you want to add anything? Mike, three. Uh, is it possible for the BIOS or UEFI uh, vendors to fix this vulnerability by applying an update? Yeah, sure. So the bootstrap vulnerability can be solved in two ways, either using the lockbox, SMM lockbox that we talked about and well, not screwing up things, or you can just move the locking code before interpreting the bootstrap. So both of these is fixable, and uh, we contacted the vendors uh, about in August. So at least some of them responded that they have patches ready. I can say, too, that um, we did receive some patches for evaluations from vendors that did fix the issue correctly, but I'm not sure if they're publicly available yet. So you know, if you're like an IT manager for a large organization, my recommendation is just to contact your, your guy there and, and see what the deal is and see if you can lean on them to get those patches out faster. <coughs> Last question, Mike Four. Assuming there's an UFI malware on the system, can itself cloak against those attacks? Can it make, it make itself invisible to those accesses? Say, say it again? I... Uh, assume you have a malware on UAV mode, very low. Can it hide itself from those probings, from those reading those memory? Is the way it can kind of make the system look normal and clean. Okay, so, so you're saying once I have all this access in, in the BIOS, can I load a Trojan in a way that's not visible? It can be done in millions of ways. That's really not, not the subject of this way, but you know, the, the generic responses use something like a blue pill, right? You can load hypervisor very early and then wrap the whole system in, in, in the blue pill. And then it's very difficult to really detect that you're running in a hypervisor. And again, once you have this level of access, it's at least cat and mouse game, right? Because there are millions of ways of hiding your presence of the system, there are millions of ways of detecting them, so that's uh, difficult, right? But the point is that you need at least to be aware that such a possibility exists and uh, that way of persistence is, is possible, right? But that's topic for a totally different talk, right? There's another, um, some colleagues of mine did a presentation at CanSec West this past year that was basically using a BIOS implant. And you can attempt to detect it by reading the spy flash and you know, looking for malicious changes. But there's actually a hardware mechanism such that SMM can interpose on attempted reads of the flash. And you can use this to uh, you know, fake out the attempt to read it. Now, you could try to detect that with timing stuff, but then it you know, gets kind of. And finally, yeah. finally uh, 
I mentioned Operation DET Bounce. So what they did was uh, Trojan BIOSes and gain presence in SMM. So then operating system loads, but SMM also runs concurrent to it, and it's still under attacker control. And once you are in SMM, you control all the operating system in a pretty stealthy way. There was a presentation in Black Hat 2008 about SMM rootkits as well, so it's fully applicable here. Again, topic for a different talk. Well, that was a deep dive, and last round of applause for Rathan Corey. Okay.